Genesis. We've been, we've been going through the first 12 chapters in the book of Genesis with the idea of beginnings. And so we're in chapter 11 today. And the interesting thing about chapter 11 is the idea of language. We're getting to the thing you're famous about, chapter 11. But language, language and speech in general. So, I, you know, I find some of these things really interesting when we kind of delve into them and look at them. And, and I spent a good bit of time reading about language and speech. Um, and the interesting thing is that Darwinian evolutionists have a hard time and no real answer regarding how and when and why suddenly humans could speak. There are so many theories when you try to read on that. Ultimately, the answer for all of them is, I don't know. Because only humans are perfectly fitted physically to speak. Imagine that. Our, our larynx, our pharynx, they, they, they're just the right length. They're, they're just the right position. The, the tongue and the lips, just the right shape to make it work. Yes, birds, for instance, can mimic, but birds don't have the right kind of brain capacity and the other issues to carry on a conversation in order to truly have speech. We have cats, and cats meow, right? But cats would be terrible poker players. Because they can't lie, they can't pretend. You know, you hear that, you know, they got a good hand. And interestingly, there is no gap. There is no transition species. There is no fossil evidence that shows this transition. Only humans have the right breath power, the right control, the right resonation to make speech even possible. It is as if we were always speaking. Studies I've read said that people are born with a a basic universal grammar. And that's why children can adapt so quickly to complex rules of speech. Interestingly, no language in human history is considered to be primitive. It's as if, come with me, we've always been speaking. Suzette Elgin writes that the oldest writings, which are Sanskrit, are incredibly complex. Moses told God, do you remember? I don't speak well. 
get somebody else because I, 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 don't, I don't talk well, he said. Do you remember what God said to him in Exodus 4:11? Who placed a mouth on humans? Is it not I, the Lord? So Adam spoke. Eve spoke from the beginning, right? Why did man uniquely have speech and language? It is because we were created in the image of God who speaks and who wants us to speak with him, with one another. And he has a plan for us created in his image to glorify him. The problem is that we don't always live up to that. Genesis 11. Go with me and read the first nine verses. Keep your finger there. We'll come back to a couple others. And no, we won't get all the way through chapter 11 because we'll pick up the end of chapter 11 next week as we preach our last message in this series. The whole earth, verse 1, had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east or eastward, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. And they used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. (laughs) Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, If they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there, that's God speaking, and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore it is called Babylon. For there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. Now, if you haven't been with us for these ten previous messages, I'd encourage you to go online, go to Facebook, or go to our website, and look at the back of this, because this all puts together as we're talking about beginnings. And so as we do this, I want you to write down number one, write down rebellious hearts. Oh, yeah, we're talking about somebody besides you. Write down rebellious hearts. It says, they found a valley, and they settled there. Oh, my goodness. There's more about settling next week. But write down the word settled. You see, trouble comes when we settle for less than obedience. Did you hear that, or were you just writing it? Trouble comes when we settle for less than obedience. What is sin? We like to use that word in the church. 
Sin literally means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. What was the mark? What was it that God had said? Specifically here, God had said, multiply and fill the earth, right? So God wanted them scattered. God said, fill the earth. So the mark that God had set for them was multiplication and separation, but they gathered and settled. Do you see that? You might have missed that when you read that. God wanted multiplication and separation. Again, we're, we're talking about what God is doing here. And they settled. They did multiply. They got part of it right. But they weren't filling the earth. And listen to me. Half right is all wrong. And then they turned their eyes. They turned their focus onto themselves. So write down the hyphenated word self-glorified. They settled, and then they self-glorified. It says they sought to make a name for themselves. (laughs) We might say they were rebranding. God said, you are man. That's what he called them. The lowercase version of Adam. It means of the earth. But they wanted to be of the skies. God said, you're not of the skies, you're of the earth. They wanted, instead of worshiping the Lord, they wanted to be worshiped. Notice what they said. God told them to go and they said, come. God said, go. They said, come. They said, let us. See, there's the focus has shifted. Let us make bricks. Let us build ourselves a city. Let us build a tower with its top in the sky, in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. I'll just tell you, I'm guilty here. I had a high school uh, soccer coach ask me when I was a sophomore starting varsity in a large high school in Ohio for the soccer team. And he pulled me in. He, he started not letting me start the games. And I didn't know what was going on because I didn't think I'd done anything wrong. And he'd put me in five minutes and play the whole game. But he wouldn't let me start. And so he asked me one day. I just couldn't figure out what was going on. We're about four weeks in. And he pulls me into his office and said, what's your favorite part of playing soccer? And so I started listing all these things. And he said, nope, your favorite part is getting introduced at the beginning. Guilty. Let us make a name for ourselves. They weren't trying to reach God. They were trying to replace God. They wanted a place to be noticed. They wanted a place to worship. They, they, they were pulled into it. Remember, we introduced him last week. He is the one who settled Babylon and Nineveh. His name was Nimrod. And I can just hear Nimrod saying, oh, yes, we will worship God. We will bring him to us. That's not the way you worship God. Paul very much was relating to this mindset in Romans chapter 1 when he wrote the church in in Rome. And he said in verse 21, listen to this. Think about these people and listen to this. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. 
Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over to the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged, listen to this, the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served what had been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. See how that relates? In Romans 1, relates to these of Nimrod and Babel. Though they knew God, it's not that nobody had told them. They knew God. Noah and Shem were still alive at this point. They knew God, but as Paul says, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. And so their thinking became worthless and senseless hearts were darkened and claiming to be wise, instead they were fools. And they exchanged the glory of God for images resembling his creation. See, the point is they forgot their purpose. They traded truth for a lie. They, they, they lost their purpose, which was to be scattered. Why? So that the image of God would be scattered and seen. They lost their God for an idol. And so, write down number two. God responds. In verses five and six, we see the response of God. God speaks. Now, When we talk about God there, we must think of him in fullness, in the Trinity. Because look at what it says. God says, let us. Who's the us? Father, Son, and Spirit. Let let us go down. Now, if you remember back to in the garden, God had walked with Adam in the cool of the day. And so obviously here we are in chapter 11. And it was no longer common for them to walk with God, to experience God in that way. And God definitely responds, but perhaps the nice thing that we can see here, and I want you to write this down under God's response, is write down the word restraint. Aren't you glad God is a God of restraint? If it were us, right? Okay, if it were me, you would not overreact. But... You know, plenty of things God could have done, right? God could have sent lightning. He could have wiped it out. But but God is interested. He is concerned about man. And I love the fact that we see in this that God cares about the future of man. We can't let this go unnoticed or unanswered. This was an attack on God. We can't just let it go. They're attacking God's purpose, God's place, the commands. God's saying, we can't let this go. I thought about in the book of Acts in the early church, about, you remember Ananias and Sapphira? They're in the new church. I am sure they were good people. I believe they'll be in heaven. I don't think it was a, an eternal thing that happened to them, but a temporal thing. 
And, and some people, when you read Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3, and, and you, you find some people like Barnabas, who was just an encourager by nature, and had been doing good things, and they were caring for each other. Scripture says that they had all things in common. And, and we find out that Barnabas sold a piece of property, right? He sold a piece of property, and he brought all of the money to the church, and they distributed among those who had need. Now, we won't go into the full story, but, but here's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they saw that happen, and I can just see them having a conversation over lunch at Luby's, and they're, they're having a conversation, and they say, you know, we got some land. We don't ever use it. Let, let's sell it, and let's give some of that to the church. Now, there's nothing wrong with their decision to sell or not sell. There's nothing wrong with their decision to give all of it or part of it. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is that they lied to the church. And they brought it, some of it, and they said, this is all of it. That's the problem. And there was a potential for this creating, because people find out. And so Peter says, They come one at a time. In Acts 5, Peter says, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And in Acts 5 there, Ananias comes, Sapphira comes, and they both independently lie. And they both died on the spot. Why? Because God couldn't let this go in the early church or then they might just do anything. Do you see how that relates here to chapter 10 of Gen- or 11 of Genesis? God says, if they begin to do this, same language, easy to do, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible. God was not just saying they have high capacity. God was saying they have wicked hearts. And if we ignore this, then the depths of this will increase. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is more deceitful than anything and is incurable. And so God here says, let's confuse their language. Why? Because what was happening here is God was creating boundaries and he was correcting their deviation from what he told them to do. Listen to me. God's mercy gives us boundaries. And so God's correction is always for our good. God's correction is always for our salvation. So then I want you to write down the word underneath number two. Write down the word redeployment. What did God told them to do? Multiply and fill the earth. So God, the creator, an artist, if you will, he wanted them scattered. Now, can you imagine if an artist is painting... And every time he puts down a stroke, the paint runs down to one side. 
Well, then the artist is going to go, okay, this thing's not level. And so the artist is going to level it, right? He'd level the canvas. He'd level the way it is there as he's working. And so God is doing something here. Remember, Scripture tells us that history is like a water course. So water does what water does in the course, but God can still set the boundaries that determines where it goes. It's not invading on the natural way for water to go. It's just setting the boundaries so it gets where he wants it to get. We have free will, but there are still boundaries. It could have been worse, except for God. And so God sets boundaries, and in particular here he sets boundaries of language. And he scatters them again because that's what he was doing all along. If they won't do it this way, then I'll do this and they'll get it done. I'm mindful of Jesus telling the disciples in Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That's what God said they would do. And then Jesus ascends after saying that to heaven and they're standing there. He's gone. And I love that two angels appear and say, why are you standing here staring into the sky? Because this same Jesus who's gone up from you will return just as he left, visibly, physically. In other words, did he tell you what to do? Go do it. Get busy. You have an instruction. He'll come back. He'll take care of that. You do what he told you to do. And so then the church in Acts 2 is born there at Pentecost, and they're growing. But guess what? They're settling. He told them, you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, and they're loving it there in Jerusalem with all those people. And you get all the way to Acts chapter 8, and they're still in Jerusalem. And it says in chapter 8, verse 1, that a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. It goes on to say that the Stephen, who had been stoned for his preaching, that they buried Stephen. And by the way, Saul, who would become Paul, was ravaging the church. And it says that he was going house to house, and he would put them in prison. And then in verse 4 it says, So, say so, so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Oh, the artist is doing something. I told you, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, you won't go. Well, I'm going to let some stuff happen to get you out the door. You see it? You see, here's the thing. Listen, God is going to do what God is going to do. The question is, will we join him? I don't don't miss that. Listen. God is going to do great things in Ferguson. God is going to do great things in North County. The question is, are we getting in on it? And we will only get in on it as we go with him and do what he is doing. And so here it is, they they separated because they couldn't speak to each other. I'm assuming that God confused their language, probably around family groups, And it says in verse 8, the Lord scattered them through the earth and they stopped building that city. 
Because that's not what he told them to do. But God, listen, is doing something. And he had a chosen people. So write down number three. Return to the story. I, I, I just let my mind sometimes wonder what God could have done to them. Because they failed to obey him. But the great news is that God is still at work. And so remember now, Moses is writing this story. And he's taking us back in the story to Shem. And he's telling the children of Israel this story. And he's writing this down. And in verse 10, look at verse 10. Read with me verse 10 and 11. And so he says, these are the family records of Shem. Shem lived 100 years and fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood, and he, uh, and, and he fathered Arpachshad. After he fathered Arpachshad, Shem lived 500 years, fathered other sons and daughters. Now, it goes on to say, as you read on down, that then someone fathered Shelah, and then Shelah fathered Eber, and Eber fathered Peleg. We said last week that Peleg literally means divided because he's living in that time. So Eber and Peleg would have been in the time of Nimrod and this Tower of Babel. And these descendants in Nimrod's line of the Tower of Ham were trying to become the story. But God had a different story he was telling. And my mind goes to those great but God verses. And perhaps the greatest but God verses are found in Ephesians chapter 2. When verse 4 says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. So write down, listen, God remembers. God remembers. Praise God that he is God of mercy and of grace. And so because of his great love, Peleg fathered Reu, who fathered Serug, who fathered Nahor, who fathered Terah, who fathered Abram. Just in case you didn't know, God does not forget what he's doing. Sometimes we don't know what he's doing or we forget what he said, but God does not forget what he's doing. I've had multiple conversations this week with people here in Ferguson that have said, this might seem weird to you, but I feel called of God to be here. And I said, me too. Amen. And so look back at Ephesians 2. Let's go back to verse 1. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world. And then verse 3 says, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and the thoughts we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also, say the two words, but God. We were children of wrath, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You're saved by grace. When we will realize and are reminded of God's great mercy, God's great love, our response should be to glorify God. 
increase his reputation. So we must, write down the second thing underneath there, we must return to the purpose. What is our purpose? I could say it simply this way. The purpose of art is to glorify the artist. The purpose of art is to bring beauty and purpose to the world. There was an English Puritan preacher named Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson was preaching what was called the Body of Divinity. It was a series of sermons on the Westminster Confession. And the question that was posed is, what is the chief end of man? And the response is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Is that a pretty good answer? I think so. Well, we can't enjoy God if we aren't glorifying God. When Stephen preached in Acts 7, he said this, Listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. And we're going to see next week, matter of fact, I'm calling next week's message the dawn of salvation. Through Abraham, we're going to see the dawn of salvation. And so let me try to bring this down, make a couple of conclusions as we finish. If our purpose is to glorify God, the question for us today then is how do we glorify God? Can you ask me that question? How? I'm glad you asked. It happens as we are grateful, worshipful, loving, and full of allegiance. That's how it happens. Thomas Watson, in that that message, he used four words that I want to steal from him, and then I want to make my own observations of those four words. To describe what it is to glorify God, he used four words. Let me give you those four words, and I want you to reflect on them this week. The first one is the word appreciation, gratitude, or the lack of gratitude is really where it starts and finishes, isn't it? A lack of appreciation or gratitude leads to discontent, distance, and disobedience. I'll say that again. A lack of gratitude leads to discontent, distance, and disobedience every time. Robert Emmons of greatergood.com says that gratitude is an affirmation of goodness, recognizing that the source is outside of ourselves. When we think we did it, we're not grateful people. Now, remember, part of the work of Satan is to call into question the goodness of God. It's what he does. I was reading Georg Simmel. He's a sociologist, and he calls gratitude, listen to this, the moral memory of mankind. Gratitude is the moral memory of mankind. Wow. You see, forgetfulness by those of us created by God, those saved through the line of Noah, those quickly, these people quickly became discontented, distant, and disobedient, didn't they? It's because they failed to appreciate a sunrise. They failed to appreciate salvation. 
They failed to appreciate the sovereignty of God that allowed them to be where they were. Gratitude, real appreciation, makes us faithful followers that live to glorify God. Some studies that I've read lead to believing that gratitude is, as Cicero said, the mother of all virtues. In other words, if we'll just be grateful, it's amazing what we will do. And if we don't get gratitude right, nothing else falls into place. Appreciation. The second word that you see there is the word adoration. Adoration is loving worship. I've told you that my definition for worship is an expression of adoration to the object of our affection. FreeDictionary.com says that worship is the act of paying honor. So how do we do that as we live? Do you remember what Jesus told us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a good statement. So then it leads to how is it in heaven? Revelation 4 gives us a picture around the throne. And it says this, that day and night, these four creatures, it says day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever they would say that, it says that the 24 elders... And I believe, by the way, that the 24 elders are a picture of us as the church in heaven. That the 24 elders, whenever they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It says that they fall down and they say, Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things. And by your will, they exist and and were created. Adoration recognizes God's greatness his goodness and gives him glory in all things here on earth as it is in heaven. Appreciation, adoration, write down the third one, affection. When we talk about affection or love, I think we have to be a little more specific. When I was reading Thomas Watson, he talks about two kinds of love. He said, one kind of love is the I love God because, right? I love God because he gave me a raise. (laughs) I love God because of my health. I love God because of my food. I love God and whatever. But in reality, what we're doing is we're loving the blessing, not God. Nothing wrong with appreciating the blessing, but we don't love the blessing, somebody. But then Watson says that there is the love of delight. That is to take delight in. When we get our delight in anything besides God, everything else is off. So if our delight comes in our job, then when the job's not going right, we become discontent and distant and disobedient. You see where it goes? If our delight is in our family and things don't go right in the family, you see that if our delight is in our health and our health's not quite right, then guess what? 
discontent, distance, disobedience. Genesis 3, 6, that was the problem in the garden is they misplaced their delight. Somebody. Adam and Eve got in trouble because they're looking and they lacked gratitude. There was only one thing that God said, don't do that. God said, don't eat from that tree right there. And it says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. Desirable. See, her delight was displaced. Love, worship, adoration comes when we delight in God. Period. Full stop. You know why? Because he delighted in me. There is nothing in me that is delightful except that God chose to delight in me. Psalm 18, 16 to 19 says, He reached down from on high and took hold of me. And he pulled me out of deep water. And he rescued me from my powerful enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. And he brought me out to a spacious place, and he rescued me because he delighted in me. Yes, he delights in you. He delights in me. And so we worship him. Because of who he is. And when I think of that word delight, I think about the sweetness of my relationship with my Lisa. You see, when I see her smile, whether it's watching fireworks, I I have pictures in my album that I took during fireworks. The fireworks are over there, but I took them of Lisa enjoying the fireworks. When I see her smile, because her favorite song came on, when I watch her smile, that's a delight for me to see her smile. Delight for God is to know what makes him smile and to desire to make him smile more than to smile myself. To look at his face and see him smile. That's what it is to glorify God. And so these people forgot gratitude. And they left affection. And they lost the joy of seeing God smile. But all of those things together, appreciation, affection, adoration, lead to the fourth word that Watson used. And he used the word subjection. Maybe we would understand allegiance. Subjection is what those four creatures in Revelation 4 at the throne are doing. They stand before the throne subject to God, waiting for instruction for God at his disposal, at his discretion, reporting for duty for his glory. And see, this is the problem in Genesis 11. God gave them a commission, but they wanted to do what they wanted, somebody. They were busy, they were grand, they were amazing, but they were not glorifying God. Ouch. God is great and he is greatly to be praised and he is to be adored and honored in grateful, obedient service. 
Listen, this morning, this is more than a history lesson. This is a call to duty. And the duty of man is to be in love with God, to worship God and serve God. Romans eleven thirty three to 36 says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, untraceable his ways. And verse 36 says, For from him and through him and to him be all things, to him be the glory forever. Amen. And Psalm 100 then says, Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are His His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. And give thanks to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good and He is faithful. And His faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. This is my father's world. And God is still moving forward. And Nimrod tried to steal God's glory, didn't he? Nimrod tried to tower over God. And if if we are not careful, when we tell this story, We sort of join in towering over the story of God, but no. We're going to leave the Tower of Babel and find that God is moving on. And it's just back to the story. Back to his glory. Back to his salvation of man that was promised back there in Genesis 3.15. Babel tried to raise a tower over God, but listen to me, towering over Babel is the word of God. And Doug, I hear the words of Maltby B. Babcock. This is my father's world. You remember that hymn? And to my listening ear, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand, the wonders wrought. It says, this is my father's world. The birds, their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare the maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair in the rustling grass. I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. It says, this is my father's world. Let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. And then it says, this is my father's world. The battle is not done because Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Listen, God's calling. (laughs) And yes, let us glorify him in gratitude, worship, delight, and service. Pray with me.
if you're here today and, and things are just um, a bit out of order in your life. Right here, recognize that God is with us. He is speaking to us through his word. And could you just right there in this moment say, I worship you, Lord. Could you right here in this, in this holy moment say, God, I am your creation and I desire to honor you, to glorify you. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, could you do that this moment? Could you say, Lord, forgive me of my sin? And I respond in faith to you. Could you right there say, I am yours and you are mine? Father, we desire your honor, your glorification, your name and not ours. Be honored in our actions, be honored in our worship. May our actions be acts of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.